Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Annie Savoy knows talent when she sees it. You're a powerful young thing, Abby Calvin. But there's just no substitute for experience. I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet kisses that last three days. Oh, my. Kevin Costner. (laughs) Susan Sarandon. (laughs) Bull Durham. Rated R. Starts Wednesday at a theater near you. Check newspapers for local listings. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Friday is the 30th anniversary of one of the greatest movies ever, Bull Durham. It is the 30th anniversary. This, I'm sure you hear about it all the time. Yeah. The, the, uh, they sent us uh, the first thousand fans at the Asheville Tourists game, which is the team that Bull Durham played for, or Crash Davis wow. played for, rather, before the Durham Bulls, and then after as well. They're giving this bobblehead doll, which is, I guess, supposed to be you. <laughs> you did not get approval of this bobblehead, I guess. Yeah. But it does tremble a little yeah. bit, like your dad when he saw the snake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it, is, do baseball players bring that movie up to you? It, they do, they, and they bring it up because most of them went through the minor leagues. Yeah, and they sure. appreciated the buses and all that things. And so they're, they're talking about it in different ways, but, but sometimes the stories are a little different. I mean, Ron Shelton, when he had, you know, directed... Ron Shelton, who wrote it and directed it, he, he told me a story. You know, right after the movie came out, he was he was in he was in the uh, he was in the uh, airport and he saw Mickey Mantle a long time ago. He saw uh-huh. Mickey Mantle and of course Ron, it's an ode to baseball. Sure. And he And he wanted to go up to Mickey, but he's a guy's guy, and so he wasn't going to bother him, right, like that. And he told you know he told the story, you know, to, you know to me and then to his friend, and his friend goes. Man, you should have, you should, what are you talking about? You should have went up to him. He goes, he was on talk show last night in New York. I don't know if it was David. I don't know who it was. Oh, Mickey Mantle sta- was on Letterman. But they started, they started talking to him about, um, it might have been another one, but they started talking to him about this movie that was really funny. He goes, have you seen it? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, it was funny. And Mickey goes, no. And he goes, but it was funny, Mickey. And he goes, no. He had to know Mickey. And, and at, pretty soon the host realized that Mickey didn't think what, the movie was funny. He goes, well, and he kind of came to his senses. He kind of really listened. He goes, well, what, what, what was, what was it, Mickey? And he said, that, that movie's sad. That movie's, like, really sad. And he goes, really? Yeah. And he goes, he goes that, that, guy could, that guy could really hit. And there's so many players that never made it to the big leagues, you know, because they had to sit behind, and, you know, behind people. And it was, wow, Mickey, had a complete, had- Mickey had a complete different take on it, but it, wow. it really moved Ron, you know what I mean? But that's a great reaction to have, yeah. in way, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and if it's Mickey Mantle, you know yeah. what I mean? Well, that's pretty great, and look, I mean, look, they're making bobbleheads 30 years later, I mean, that's pretty, <laughs> I mean, they don't look anything like you, but they are making bobbleheads. <laughs> I know, I made it, Mom. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it. you did. Kevin Costner, what? Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Bull Durham from 1988. The studio was Orion Pictures, release date was June 15, 1988, with a running time of 108 minutes. The rating is R, the budget was $7.5 million, and the box office took in $50.8 million, making it the 18th ranked movie of 1988. 
Rotten Tomatoes gives it 97% fresh from 68 reviews. Their critics' consensus is Kevin Costner at his funniest and most charismatic in Bull Durham, a film that's as wise about relationships as it is about minor league baseball. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 3.5 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. Some days you win, some days you lose, and some days it rains. Baseball proverb. Bull Durham is a baseball version of Wall Street, in which everybody's takeover bid is for someone else's heart. The movie is being promoted as a romantic comedy, but Susan Sarandon has a great scene right at the outset where she corrects that notion. She holds a little meeting with two new members of the local minor league ball club and explains that every year she chooses one player to spend the season with, and they are the two current finalists. The rest of the movie involves, in one way or another, a three-way contest to see A, who really loves whom, B, who can really trust whom, and C, whether the answers to A and B involve the same two people. A lot of baseball is played along the way. Bull Durham was written and directed by Ron Shelton, who spent some time in the minor leagues, and this is a sports movie that knows what it is talking about. There are quiet little scenes that have the ring of absolute accuracy, as when a player is called into the office and told his contract is not being picked up and the blow is softened by the careful mention of a possibility of a coaching job in the organization next season. And there probably isn't a coaching job, and nobody wants it anyway. But by such lies can sad truths be told. The movie stars Kevin Costner as Crash Davis, an aging catcher and minor league veteran who knows the ropes, and Tim Robbins as Nuke Lelouch, a hot young pitcher who has a great fastball but no control and no maturity. Costner has been brought to the club to provide some seasoning for the rookie, and so inevitably they get into a fight before they've even been introduced. Costner has observed that Robbins has great control, unless he thinks about what he's doing. One moment of thought and the ball gets pitched into the stands. That kind of baseball philosophy provides a sound background for the movie, which has its foreground in Susan Sarandon's bedroom. I don't know who else could have been hired to play Annie Savoy, the Sarandon character who pledges her heart and her body to one player a season, but I doubt if the character would have worked without Sarandon's wonderful performance. Annie could have been portrayed as a lot of things, as a tramp maybe, or a pathetic case study, but Sarandon portrays her as a woman who quite simply loves baseball and baseball players and wants to do her thing for the home team. Why does she limit her love affairs to one season? Anyone who has ever been a minor league baseball fan knows the answer to that one. Anybody who is good moves up after a year, and Annie, of course, is only interested in the best players. Bull Durham is a treasure of a movie because it knows so much about baseball and so little about love. The movie is a complete unrealistic romantic fantasy, and in the real world, the delicate little balancing act of these three people would crash into pieces. But this is a movie, and so we want to believe in love, and we want to believe that once in a while lovers can get a break from fate. That's why the movie's ending is so perfect. Not because it seems just right, but because it seems wildly impossible, and we want to believe it anyway. And that's the end of Ebert's review. Ebert is totally spot on about Susan Sarandon, because nobody else could have played the Annie character, just like Kevin Costner was perfect as Crash Davis. Bull Durham is not only one of the greatest baseball movies ever made, but it's actually one of the greatest sports movies ever made. And the reason I love Bull Durham so much is that the plot does not rely on that one championship big game to wrap up the story. Almost all sports movies have that championship fairy tale type ending. And Bull Durham simply does not need to rely on conventional endings. And really, the lack of the one major game is truly the spirit of baseball. Baseball seasons are really daily grinds that last over half the calendar year. And that's where Bull Durham really nails the essence of baseball, the day-in and day-out life of a ballplayer. 
All right, let's get into the main cast. Of course, Kevin Costner plays Crash Davis, and today we think of Costner and the plethora of sports movies he's made. Bull Durham has the distinction of being his first sports movie, and what a way to begin. Costner's career started slowly in the early 1980s, and he even had his scene cut out of The Big Chill in 1983. He played the friend who killed himself at the beginning of the film that led to the rest of the friends to reunite for his funeral. But 1985 was a good year for Costner, as he was in three films, Fandango, Silverado, and American Flyers. His real break was playing Elliot Ness in 1987's film adaptation of The Untouchables, co-starring Sean Connery and Robert De Niro. Next, he was in a great thriller with Gene Hackman called No Way Out, which was a remake of The Big Clock, which had Ray Moland in it. Susan Sarandon plays Annie Savoy, and Sarandon's career began in the early 1970s and had a reoccurring role on the soap opera World Apart. Her film break was, of course, in the film adaptation of the Rocky Horror Picture Show as Janet Weiss. She worked steadily throughout the 70s and was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress for the movie Atlantic City with Burt Lancaster in 1980. And she worked steadily throughout the 1980s, though she was never in super popular films until 1987 with The Witches of Eastwick with Jack Nicholson, Cher, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Bull Durham really put her on the map again. Tim Robbins plays Ebby Calvin Nuclelouche. And like Costner, Robbins' career began in the early 80s, mostly appearing in small roles on TV shows. He would later have bit roles in films like Toy Soldiers, The Sure Thing, and he was also in Top Gun, playing Merlin, and Howard the Duck. And then he would co-star with his buddy John Cusack in Tapeheads before getting his real big break in Bull Durham. I recommend go checking out Tapeheads if you can see it. It's, it's, it's really kind of a dark comedy along the lines of Better Off Dead. And if you didn't know already, Sarandon and Robbins started dating after meeting during the shooting of Bull Durham. And they remained a couple, having two kids until their breakup in 2009. The director and screenwriter is Ron Shelton, and as Ebert mentioned in his review, Shelton did play minor league baseball as an infielder for the Baltimore Orioles from 1967 to 1971. He made it all the way up to AAA, but he never played in the majors. His career in film started as a screenwriter, as he wrote screenplays for uh, the film Under Fire, which had Nick Nolte and Gene Hackman in it from 1983, and then The Best of Times with Robin Williams and Kurt Russell in 1986. Bull Durham was his directorial debut. He would later direct a few more sports-related films with White Man Can't Jump, Cobb, which was about Ty Cobb, and Tin Cup, also with Kevin Costner. All right, let's get into the making of the film. So the original script of Bull Durham was titled A Player to be Named Later. Believe it or not, baseball movies were not considered moneymakers for film studios at the time. Though The Natural did very well in 1984, but this was a different type of film, and much of the cast accepted lower salaries to get the film made. Kevin Costner actually played high school baseball and was definitely a natural athlete, even hitting home runs on and off camera. The studio actually wanted Anthony Michael Hall to play the nuke character, and Rod Sheldon threatened to quit the movie if they cast Hall. Interestingly enough, Hall then starred in another sports movie, which bombed the same year called Johnny Be Good, about a star high school football player being recruited by colleges. It also had a god-awful cover of Chuck Berry's classic Johnny Be Good by Judas Priest. So the reason that the Durham Bulls were used as the team was that the producer of the film, Tom Mount, was a part owner of the team. So to add realism to the baseball scenes, many of the players were actual minor leaguers, including the umpires. So the studio thought that Susan Sarandon was too old and not funny enough to play Annie. So the producer of the film, Tom Mount, had Sarandon, who was 41 at the time, go to Orion Pictures, and the co-founder, 
Mike Matavoy's office in a tight dress and lean over his desk for half an hour. Sarandon then recalled, As a rule, most studio executives' strong suit is in imagination. So when you're trying to get a part, it helps for them to be able to envision you in the part. I definitely didn't go in there in a t-shirt and jeans. I remember having on an off-the-shoulder red and white striped dress that was very form-fitting. It was understood what I had to do. Ironically, Michelle Pfeiffer auditioned for the role of Annie Savoy, but wasn't cast due to being perceived as too young. <laughs> so the character of Nuke Lelouch was based on a real ball player who played with the Baltimore Orioles. His name was Steve Dalkowski. So in his professional debut in 1957, he was 18 years old, he took the mound for a minor league team. He struck out 24 batters. However, he also walked 18 batters, hit four of them, threw six wild pitches in a row at one point, and lost the game 98. <laughs> in 1960, he pitched for another minor league team, and he struck out 262 batters in 170 innings. That is awesome. However, in those same 170 innings, he walked 262 batters. <laughs> That's a one-to-one walk-by-K ratio. Jeez. So he finally started to turn it around, and then he got a chance to go to spring training in 1963. And he was facing the Yankees in spring training, and then he blew out his elbow, which would have needed Tommy John surgery. But in the 1960s, they didn't have Tommy John surgery there. And that was it. And he kind of scuffled around for a few more years and then decided to retire. His career totals in the minors, 956 innings, struck out 1,324 batters, and he walked 1,236 batters. Amazing. All right, let's get into the movie. So the film starts with a nice montage of classic baseball photos, like kids playing stickball in the streets, Pete Rose grabbing some air while diving headlong into third base. There's a leaping catch by a New York Yankees outfielder. Not sure if it's Mickey Mantle or Joe DiMaggio. Couldn't really tell. Fernando Valenzuela looking up at the sky during his windup. Jackie Robinson stealing home plate before being tagged by Yogi Berra in the 1955 World Series. Eddie Goodell, who was the dwarf who famously only had one at bat in the majors, who was given a roster spot by the very eccentric owner Bill Veck. And then the American League president at the time voided the contract, claiming that Veck was making a mockery of the game. There's also a photo of Babe Ruth during his farewell speech at Yankee Stadium. And then the female baseball team from the 1940s, likely the team that inspired a league of their own. We then get a terrific monologue from Annie, played by Susan Sarandon, giving her thoughts on the meaning of life as it pertains to her. I believe in the church of baseball. I've tried all the major religions and most of the minor ones. I've worshipped Buddha, Allah, Brahma, Vishnu, Siva, trees, mushrooms, and Isidore Duncan. I know things. For instance, there are 108 beads in a Catholic rosary and there are 108 stitches in a baseball. When I learned that, I gave Jesus a chance. But it just didn't work out between us. The Lord laid too much guilt on me. I prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guilt in baseball and it's never boring, which makes it like sex. There's never been a ball player slept with me who didn't have the best year of his career. Making love is like hitting a baseball. You just gotta relax and concentrate. Besides, I'd never sleep with a player hitting under 250, unless he had a lot of RBIs or was a great glove man up the middle. You see, there's a certain amount of life wisdom I give these boys. I can expand their minds. Sometimes when I've got a ball player alone, I'll just read Emily Dickinson or Walt Whitman to him. 
And the guys are so sweet, they always stay and listen. Of course, a guy will listen to anything if he thinks it's foreplay. I make them feel confident, and they make me feel safe and pretty. Of course, what I give them lasts a lifetime. What they give me lasts 142 games. Sometimes it seems like a bad trade. But bad trades are part of baseball. I mean, who can forget Frank Robinson for Milk Pappas, for God's sake? It's a long season, and you gotta trust it. I've tried them all I really have, and the only church that truly feeds the soul day in, day out, is the Church of Baseball. So to compare Annie to maybe, let's say, music bands, she's the equivalent of a groupie, except she's into ballplayers. And I think there's a misconception about women like Annie, and that's why the opening monologue is great. She knows exactly what she's doing. She's always one step ahead of the guys because they're young and inexperienced. This dynamic will change later in the film, but we're not there yet. The team Annie follows is the Durham Bulls, which is a minor league baseball team. At the time, the Bulls were a single-A team, which was mostly for the very young prospects. This team later became a triple-A team in 1998, and they are now an affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. Back when this film was made in 1988, the Bulls were the farm team for the Atlanta Braves. And then you get some great shots of a real minor league baseball crowd. The vibe of the minor leagues is awesome. It's more family-friendly, and it's very intimate. Often between innings, you get fun little giveaways or entertainment. It's the essence of what baseball was created for. Small crowds looking to relax on a spring or summer evening or day. The outfield walls are covered in local advertisements. Here in San Jose, California, we have the Single A Giants, which of course is the farm team for the San Francisco Giants. And the vibe at that stadium is the same exact vibe you see in Bull Durham. The manager of the Bulls is Joe Skip Riggins, played by Trey Wilson, and their bench coach is Larry Hockett, played by Robert Wool. Both Wilson and Wool are fabulous in their roles, and they often steal every scene they're in, no pun intended. Wool has a great debut in the very funny screwball comedy Hollywood Nights from 1980. He also appeared in Flashdance and was later in Good Morning Vietnam. After Bull Durham, he would probably have his most recognizable movie role in the 1989 version of Batman as Alexander Knox. For Trey Wilson, sadly, he died in 1989 after having a brain hemorrhage. He did appear in five films after Bull Durham, most notably Married to the Mob, Twins, and Great Balls of Fire playing Sam Phillips. Alright, back to the movie. We discover that tonight is the pitching debut for a young pitcher named Ebby Calvin Lelouch, played by Tim Robbins. Skip and Larry are wondering why Ebby hasn't started warming up yet. So Skip goes to the locker room, only to find Ebby screwing a Bulls fan named Millie, played by Jenny Robertson. Game starts in four minutes. Why ain't you warm? I am warm. Jesus, Ebby, this is your professional debut tonight. Me and guys give their left nut to be in your shoes. And you're leaving your fastball in the locker room for some piece of ass. Skip! It is me. I am not some, quote, piece of ass, unquote. Oh. Millie. Jeez, sorry. Didn't recognize you. Uh, don't take this personal, Millie, but uh, if I catch you in here again, you're banned from the ballpark. You can't ban me from the ballpark because my daddy donated that scoreboard. And if you ban me, he just might take that scoreboard away. But what do we need a scoreboard for? We ain't scored any runs all year. Now you get your ass out there. Hey, hey, boss, I got a question. What? Do you think I need a nickname? I think I need a nickname. When we were talking about this, all the great ones have nicknames like oil can, catfish. What was the one you were? Pokey. Yeah, but what do you think of Pokey? You got three minutes. 
So Ron Sheldon came up with the name of Ebby Calvin Nuke-Lelouch after being served in a restaurant by a waiter named Ebby Calvin Nuke-Lelouche. Sheldon thought it was a standout name and changed the spelling of the nickname and the last name. So as I've said in past episodes regarding sports movies, you can always tell an athlete by their throwing motion. In the case of Tim Robbins, he's definitely not a natural athlete as he has a ridiculous pitching motion. However, for this movie, it kind of works somewhat because his character is such a goofball. He's kind of like Bark the Bird Fidrich. Fidrich was a sensation for the Detroit Tigers in 1976. He won the Rookie of the Year, and he would do these eccentric things on the mound, like talking to the ball, or going to the mound in circles after each out, or grooming the mound with his hands. Seriously, if you've never seen him pitch, go and check out YouTube. It's a trip. Plus, the MLB Network had a great hour-long documentary about his life. So Lelouch has a very high velocity fastball. He throws in the mid-90s, which was a big deal back then. But control is a bit of a problem. Or as Millie likes to put it, he fucks like he pitches, sort of all over the place. We then get a montage of Lelouch hitting batters and then walking a ton of hitters not even coming near the plate. And he decides to offer a few tips, telling him to arch his back, which does get him into the strike zone. Then before you know it, he's hitting the mascot with a pitch, the bull. We get a great scene of Skip and Larry discussing Lelouch's performance. He walked 18 and struck out 18. He also hit the sports writers, the PA announcer, and the bull twice. All new league records, as Larry points out. We are then introduced to Crash Davis, who makes an entry like only he can. Who are you? Who's he? I'm the player to be named later. Crash Davis? I'm Joe Riggins. And you, Larry Hockett, should recognize me, because five years ago in the Texas League, you were pitching for El Paso. I was hitting cleanup for Shreveport. You hung a curveball on a 0-2 pitch in a 3-2 game in the bottom of the eighth, and I tattooed it <laughs> over the Michelin tire sign and beat you 4-3. Crash is a longtime minor league player on his last legs who's been sent down to A-ball in order to mentor Lelouch. Crash feels he's too old to deal with a wild rookie pitcher and thinks about quitting baseball before deciding he's actually going to do this. As Larry puts it, Lelouch has a million dollar arm, but a five cent head. That night, the team is hanging out at the local bar. Crash appears at the bar and introduces himself to Annie and Max. Max is kind of the mascot for the team that isn't the bull. (laughs) Abby is the life of the party, dancing with every woman in the bar. Crash isn't impressed, but Annie likes Abby. So Lelouch asks Annie to dance, and Crash says she's with him, which leads to some good old-fashioned male bonding as Lelouch challenges him to a fight outside. This is a great scene as Crash gives Lelouch his first lesson. Look, I don't believe in fighting, all right? Let's just... Oh, that's really sweet. I don't believe... Fuck you, you pussy. Pussy. All right. Take the first shot at me. No way, man. I don't hit no man first. All right, then. Give me the chest with that. 
I'm your new catcher, and you just got lesson number one. Don't think. Can only hurt the ball club. Uh, you come inside, I'll buy you a drink. No problem. My new catcher. Besides the terrific lines in this scene, having Crash not move a muscle as Lelouch doesn't even come close to hitting him is fabulous. Also, the boat insult probably came from Los Angeles Dodgers' Tommy Lasorda, who's actually said this in 1984 in referencing to the weak-hitting San Diego Padres infielder Kurt Bavacqua. So after their little run-in, the boys kind of relax, and Annie invites both of them back to her place because they are the two prospects for this season for her. So she will decide which one she will be with for this season. This leads to a terrific monologue from Crash, who is not impressed for trying out for someone's affection. These are the ground rules. I hook up with one guy a season. Usually takes me a couple weeks to pick the guy. It's kind of my own spring training. And well, you two are the most promising prospects of the season so far. So I just thought we should kind of get to know each other. Time out. Why do you get to choose? What? Why do you get to choose? I mean, why don't I get to choose? Why doesn't he get to choose? Well, actually, nobody on this planet ever really chooses each other. I mean, it's all a question of quantum physics, molecular attraction, and timing. I mean, there are laws we don't understand that bring us together and tear us apart. I mean, it's like pheromones. You get three ants together, they can't do dick. You get 300 million of them, they can build a cathedral. <laughs> so somebody going to go to bed with somebody or what? Honey, you are a regular nuclear meltdown. You better cool off. <laughs> Wait a minute, where are you going? After 12 years in the minor leagues, I don't try out. Besides, uh, I don't believe in quantum physics when it comes to matters of the heart. What do you believe in then? Well, I believe in the soul. The cock, the pussy, the small of a woman's back, the hanging curveball, high fiber, good scotch, that the novels of Susan Sontag are self-indulgent, overrated crap. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. I believe in the sweet spot, softcore pornography, opening your presents Christmas morning rather than Christmas Eve, and I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, Wet kisses that last three days. Good night. Oh, my. Crash? Hey, Annie, what's all this molecule stuff? Crash? 
crash weight. Look, all I want is a date. I'm not gonna fall in love with you, nothing. I'm not interested in a woman who's interested in that boy. Good night. Well, I'm not interested yet. Who you calling a boy? See you at the yard, me. Damn, nobody's ever said no to a date with me before. He's crazy. I want you bad. It's kind of funny that Costner mentions Lee Harvey Oswald as he would go on to star in the movie JFK a few years later. Anyway, as Ebby insinuated, not too subtly, he just wants to get laid because he's a kid. However, Annie controls everything with her rookies and he doesn't get laid at all. She ties him to the bedpost and reads Walt Whitman poems to him all night, which is pretty hilarious. How's that for kinky? However, from the evening with Annie, Ebby now has a nickname and will be known as Nuke Lelouch. And he also learns another lesson from Crash. Jesus, Abby, you look like a truck ran over you, man. Nuke. Call me Nuke. And he says it's my new nickname. Okay, Nuke. Go get him, man. Annie nailed you? Annie nailed you? That's great. That's great. That means you're going to have a great year. Is she, uh, as good as they say? No, man, we didn't fuck. No, she read poetry to me all night. It's more tiring than fucking. Limpid jets alone. Hey, hey, Crash. Does that mean what I think it means? Limpid jets alone? Your shower shoes have fungus on them. You'll never make it to the bigs with fungus on your shower shoes. Think classy, you'll be classy. If you win 20 in the show, you can let the fungus grow back on your shower shoes and the press will think you're colorful. Until you win 20 in the show, however, means you're a slob. So in Crash's first game, we get a terrific scene of what it's like to get inside the batter's mind when they're hitting. See, no other movie to this point had really covered the mental part of being at bat. Fuck, Crash. Fuck. You start me off with a hammer. You're thinking too much, Crash. You're thinking too much. Get out of your fucking head. Don't let him in your kitchen. Come on, Crash. Just relax. You got it, honey. All right, here we go now. Stay back. Relax. Quick bat. Quick bat. Quick. <laughs> Throw that shit again, me. You throw that weak ass shit again. Okay, just stop pinching me, babe. Get close, babe. You got it. You got it, babe. One more, babe. One more. You got him. Come on, babe. All right, he's got to throw the deuce now, okay? He's got to waste one. Stay back and wipe that silly grin off his face. Come on, bring it. Bring it. Hey! Jesus Christ. What was that? What the hell was that? Okay, babe. Son of a bitch throws hard. Okay, Crash. You take it easy, honey. All right, one and two. You can hit this shit. Relax. Annie. Annie. Annie, who is this Annie? Jesus, get out of the box here. Where's your head? Get the broad out of your head. Time out. Time out. Get right. Get a hit, Crash. Shut up. 
All right, you've seen all his pitches. You've seen them all. Just shorten up, Crash. Now bring me the gas, kid. Bring me the gas. Bring me the gas. Baby, take us to crash. Folks, we have a little lost girl up here. Says her name is Lida Ann Baker. She'll be waiting it's at the crash. ticket box for her daddy, Dieter Baker. Dieter, come on, get your little girl. Crash? What? Those for me. Read it. <clears throat> uh, dear Crash, you have a lovely swing, but you're pulling your hips out too early. I'd be happy to meet with you tomorrow at the batting cage to discuss it. Signed, Annie. Well, if there was one chick who'd know you pulling your hips out early, it'd be Annie. It's kind of a personal note, kids. So I don't read it. There you go. It says, I want to make love to you, Crash. Oh, my. <laughs> I love how he tells the bad boy to shut up. <laughs> also, the note really said, let's fuck, not let's make love, like Millie says. <laughs> Crash and Annie decide to meet at the batting cages for their first date. This is another great scene with terrific dialogue between the two. See my hips? Yep. Now I think Susan's home tag is brilliant. So is this going to happen? Us? <sighs> I'm committed to Nuke for the season. Oh. You had your chance the other day. What is it that you see in this guy? I mean, he's a young, wild, dim, pretty boy. Young men are uncomplicated. And he's not dim. He's just inexperienced. It's my job to give him life wisdom and to help him get on to the major leagues. Well, that's funny. That's my job, too. Damn. <laughs> You're pulling your hips. I know, I know, I know, but they're nice hips. I looked up your records. Your what? Mm-hmm. You hit 227 home runs in the minors. That's not bad. Don't tell anybody. Why not? You hit 20 more this year, you're going to be the all-time minor league champ. The record's 246. Well, 247 home runs in the minor leagues would be a kind of dubious honor. It would be great. The sporting news should know about oh, it. Which, no, just no. Please. Okay. Last chance. Your place or mine. Despite my rejection of most Judeo-Christian ethics, I am, within the framework of the baseball season, monotonous. Give me a break. It's true. Stop it. Jesus. The fact is, you're afraid of meeting a guy like me because it might be real. So you sabotage it with some uh, 
what is it, bullshit about commitment to a young boy you can boss around? It's a great deal. Nice. I know women like you. <laughs> I know women like you. You're a regular patron saint, you know? Stray cats, lost causes, or six-foot-three-inch homeless studs. Oh, crash, you do make speeches. <laughs> We go back to the ballpark. Before Major League and Jobu's rum from Serrano, there was Jose and his chicken bone cross to bring hits to his bat. What's great about this little scene is the enormous amount of superstition that happens in baseball and sports in general. Jose believes in voodoo, and Bobby, who's in a slump, will even convert to voodoo if it will bring him some hits. On to the game, and Crash continues to teach Nuke about what it takes to be a Major League pitcher. Like, you don't need to strike out every batter. Don't try to strike everybody out. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground balls. It's more democratic. What's this guy know anyway? If he's so great, how come he's been in the minors for 10 years? If he's so hot, how come Annie wants me instead of him? Oh, hey. And another thing, me. You don't know shit, right? You want to make it to the show, you'll listen to me. Annie only wants you because she can boss you around, got it? Well, relax. Let's have some fun out here. This game's fun, okay? It's fun, goddammit. And hey, don't hold the ball so hard, okay? It's an egg. Hold it like an egg. What's <laughs> he know about fun? I'm young. I know about fun. An old man, he don't know nothing about fun. All right, nobody's gone out there. Why is he calling for a curveball? I want to bring heat. Shake it off. Throw it you in. God damn it. Time out. Hey! Why are you shaking me off? Huh? I want to bring the heater to announce my presence with authority. To announce your what? To announce my presence with authority. To announce your fucking presence with authority? This guy's a first ball fastball hitter. He's looking for heat. Oh, yeah? So what? He ain't seen my heat. All right, me. Give me your heat. Why is he always calling me me? I'm the guy driving a Porsche. Fastball. Come on, dude. Slow down. Slow down, boy. Slow down. Take your time. Yeah, and he scrambled the son of a bitch. Look at that, he hit the fucking bull. Gotta get some free steak. 
You having fun yet? Oh, yeah, I'm having a blast. Thanks. Good. God, sucker teed off in that like he knew I was going to throw a fastball. He did know. How? I told him. One down, no, no, nobody else. One down. Come on, no kill the man, man. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Chuck Arky, Chuck Arky, you got anything? Don't think, just throw. Don't think, just throw. <laughs> Moral of the story, listen to your catcher. Crash hits his first homer of the season, though it's not enough, and the team loses the game. Skip is frustrated with the lack of production from the team, which leads to a very funny and memorable scene. Hello, shot. Sorry, it got wasted. Jeez. I don't know what to do with these guys. I beg, I plead, I try to be a nice guy. I'm a nice guy, but I don't... Huh? They're kids. Scare them. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody in the shower! Anybody in the shower in 10 seconds gonna get fined $100! Larry! One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, get in five there. Mississippi, Hurry it up. six Mississippi, seven Mississippi, eight Mississippi, nine Mississippi, ten Mississippi. You guys, you lollygag the ball around the infield. You lollygag your way down to first. You lollygag in and out of the dugout. Do you know what that makes you, Larry? Lollygaggers. Lollygaggers. What's our record, Larry? Eight and 16. Eight and 16. How'd we ever win eight? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. This is a simple game. You throw the ball. You hit the ball. You catch the ball. You got it? Now, we have got a 12-day road trip starting tomorrow. Let's leave six in the morning. As great as Trey Wilson is in that last scene, what brings it home is Robert Wool with his little phrases like counting Mississippis or stating the obvious like, it's a miracle. Next, you get another real type of scene rarely covered in baseball movies prior to Bull Durham, and that's a player getting cut from the roster, as Skip has to release Bobby from the team due to his lack of production. Even the voodoo didn't help him keep his roster spot. As Skip mentioned in the lollygagging scene, the team will be on a long road trip, which means Nuke won't be able to see Annie for almost two weeks. She gives him a gift for when he pitches. The gift is a garter belt, which according to Annie, will take the stress and overthinking of pitching off because he'll be thinking about wearing women's lingerie. Crash gives Nuke another lesson on the team bus. If you're going to sing a song, know the correct goddamn lyrics. Stop it. Thank you. What? It's not wooly. Nobody gets wooly. Women get weary. They don't get wooly. 
Nobody's got stress, they're wearing a dress. Damn, I hate people that get the words wrong. How come you don't like me? So you don't respect yourself, which is your problem. But you don't respect the game, and that's my problem. You got a gift. What do I got? You got a gift. When you were a baby, the gods reached down and turned your right arm into a thunderbolt. You got a Hall of Fame arm, but you're pissing it away. I ain't pissing nothing away. I got a Porsche already. I got a 911 with a quadraphonic blaupunk. Christ, you don't need a quadraphonic blaupunk. What you need is a curveball. Huh? In the show, everybody can hit a fastball. Well, how would you know? You've been in the majors? <laughs> yeah, I've been in the majors. You've been in the show, man? Yeah, I was in the show. I was in the show for 21 days once. Wow. <laughs> 21 greatest days of my life. You know, you never handle your luggage in the show. Somebody else carries your bags. It's great. You hit white balls for batting practice. Ballparks are like cathedrals. The hotels all have room service. The women all have long legs and brains. <laughs> oh, They're really hot, huh? Yeah, and so are the pitchers. They throw ungodly breaking stuff in the show. Exploding sliders. Could be one of those guys. You could be one of those guys, but you don't give a fuck, meat. Listen, I'm sick and fucking tired of you calling me meat. You want to step outside? Yeah, I'll step outside. Hey, 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 hey. Come, on. come on! Come on! Crash, man. Come on! Hey, hey, you was kidding! You was kidding! Hey, hey, hey! Hey, hey, hey! Hey, hey, hey! I was just, I was just gonna ask Crash to show me how to throw a breaking ball. Good idea! Good idea! Get, get, get! Get a ball! Get a ball! For all the heavy metal fans out there, you'll be happy to know that Nuke was wearing an Iron Maiden Live After Death shirt while almost getting his ass kicked for not knowing the lyrics to Otis Redding's Try a Little Tenderness. We then get a nice little montage of the team on the road trip. It's amusing to see the local announcer for the Bulls get phone call updates as he broadcasts the game like he's there in person, though he's just in a radio studio. This is actually how some road broadcasts used to happen in the early days of radio play-by-play. The start of the road trip does not go well as the team loses seven games in a row. It's so bad the team wants a day off, so Crash makes a $100 bet with a few of the guys that he can get a rain out for the team. This leads to a great scene where Crash, Nuke, and two other players decide to flood the field with sprinklers, causing a makeshift rain out. The boys then decide to run the soggy base pass, sliding headfirst like a slip and slide throughout the field. So this rainout scene was based on an actual event. Ron Shelton's team was in Amarillo, Texas for a season-ending series. The night before the final game, Shelton and some teammates and some players were out partying and decided to go to the stadium and turn on the sprinkler system, thereby flooding the field and ensuring a rainout. However, the Amarillo team owner rented a helicopter, dried the field, and the game was played. (laughs) So the Bulls get home from their losing road trip, and Annie decides to give Nuke a few pitching tips to improve on his 1-6 record. In addition to finally giving the garters a try, she tells him to use the Fernando Valenzuela method of not looking at the catching target when he's in the middle of his windup. Because if he has the proper mechanics, he'll be able to hit his spots without even looking at the catcher. 
Also, to keep track of Nukes' band shirts, this time he was wearing a Molly Crew Girls, Girls, Girls era t-shirt. So Nuke dominates with his newly implemented mechanics. Everything is going great because he's following the game that Crash is calling, including this amusing scene. Here. I'm cruising, man. I want you to throw the next one at the mascot. Why? I'm finally throwing it where I want to throw it. Just throw it at the ball, right? Trust me. It's the boss. A staggering start by Lelouch. He's thrown five outs on nine pitches, all of them strikes. He's got pinpoint control here tonight, bull fan. Here's the pitch. <laughs> this guy's crazy. Yep. I wouldn't dig in there if I was you. Next one might be at your head. I don't know where it's gonna go. I swear to God. <laughs> Unfortunately, Nuke gets a little full of himself and shakes off Crash in the middle of pitching a shutout in the ninth inning, and you know that's never going to end well. Top of the ninth, two out, one out away from a stunning two-hit shutout for Lelouch. Spread out, mate. Dome it up. You own these guys. Dad would love a shutout. No, no. He's looking for heat. Let me give him the deuce. Oh, no. He's shaking off the sides. Big mistake. The son of a bitch is throwing a two-hit shutout. He's shaking me off. You believe that shit? Charlie, here comes the deuce. And when you speak of me, speak well. No, no, serve it up. travels that far to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? So Nuke learned his lesson. He strikes out the next three batters to cap off his dominating performance. Now, with his new mechanics and he's listening to Crash, this is where the old baseball superstitions creep in. Nuke doesn't want to mess with his current win streak, and because he has abstained from sex with Annie since the beginning of his streak, he needs to keep his newfound virginity going, much to the dismay of Annie. So even though Nuke is riding high with his streak, he wants Crash to teach him more things. 
this leads to an absolutely brilliant scene of Crash explaining how to use the tried-and-true sports cliches when giving interviews. This is so good because it's uncanny how every single player interview pretty much follows the same script. I love winning, man. I fucking love winning. You hear what I'm saying? It's like better than losing. Teach me something new, man. I, I need to learn. Teach me something. Well, you got something to write with? Good. It's time to work on your interviews. My interviews? What do I got to do? You're going to have to learn your cliches. You're going to have to study them. You're going to have to know them. They're your friends. Write this down. We got to play him one day at a time. Got to play. It's pretty boring. Of course it's boring. That's the point. Write it down. One day at a time. All right. I'm just happy to be here. Hope I can help the ball club. I know. Write it down. I just want to give it my best shot. And the good Lord willing, things will work out. Good. Lord willing. Things, Things will work, work out. out. Yep. How's Annie? She's getting pretty steamed, actually, because I'm still rechanneling my sexual energy. I'm figuring I'm just going to cave in and sleep with her, you know, to calm her down. Look, are you out of your mind? Well, Are you out of your mind? I'm just talking about one time. If you give in now, you might start losing. Huh? Never fuck with a winning streak. <laughs> as tough as hitters can be, Annie is even tougher for Nuke to strike out. I'm so proud of you guys. You want some more soup, honey? No, no, thanks. That was great. How about a little, um, back rub? No, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I think I'm gonna just take a little nap. Mm -hmm. You want me to tuck you in? Annie, Annie, you can't seduce me. <laughs> Sweetie, I'm not gonna try to seduce you. What's that? That's my leg. I know what it is. I just thought maybe we could work on some fundamentals since we're not going to make love and kind of improve your hand-eye coordination. My hand-eye coordination? Mm-hmm. Unsnap my stocking. The other day, Crash called a woman's pussy. Um, well, you know how the hair is kind of in a V-shape? Yes, I do. Well, he called it the Bermuda Triangle. He said that a man can get lost in there and never be heard from again. What a nasty thing to say. No, oh, no, no. He didn't. He didn't mean it nasty. He, he, he said that getting lost and and disappearing from the face of the earth was sometimes a, a good thing to do, and especially like that. But he also said that there are times for discipline and and, and self control, and, and I think this is one of those times. Well, Crash is a very smart man. Now, honey, let's give it a try. Here, wait, watch, watch. Mm. 
Now you try. Go ahead. trying to play with your body. I knew it. You're trying to seduce me. Well, of course I'm trying to seduce you, for God's sake. I'm doing a damn poor job of it. Aren't I pretty? Oh, God, I think you're real cute. Cute? Baby ducks are cute. I hate cute. I want to be exotic and mysterious. You are. You're exotic and mysterious and cute and... That's why I better leave. Nuke, you got it all wrong. And there's no relationship between sex and baseball. Ask Crash. I did. And what did he say? He said that if I give in to you, I'll start losing again. He did? Yeah. I'll be back when we lose. As expected, Annie isn't too thrilled with Crash's advice to Nuke. How dare you tell me to stay out of my bed? You are messing with my private life. Knock, knock, you know, come in. You're confusing him. Where's like, thank him. you. You're confusing him. You're bending his mind all out and of what? shape. What? You're confusing him. Confusing him? You got him breathing out of the wrong goddamn eyelid. You got him parading around the locker room like a fruit. That is a religious ritual, and it happens to be working, if you don't mind my saying. Wait, 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 wait. Who dresses you? What? Who dresses you? I mean, do you think this is a little excessive for the Carolina League? The road of excess leads to the Palace of Wisdom, William Blake. What, William Blake? William Blake. What, William Blake? William Blake! What do you mean, William Blake? I mean, William Blake! Who are you? I mean, do you, do you have a job? I teach part-time at Alamance Junior College. English 101 and beginning composition. You know, having a conversation with you is like a, is, is, is like a Martian talking to a fungo. Oh, cute. That's really cute. You know, just because sometimes you manage to be clever and you have a nice smile does not mean you are not full of shit. But I'm full of shit. You're full I'm of full shit. I'm full of shit. You are full of shit. chastity was your idea. I know. I'm telling I you. Just get your hands out. I never told what I'm him to stay oh, yes, out of your did. bed. You most certainly I did. I never told him to stay out of your yes, bed. Yes, you did. I told him that a player on a streak has to respect the streak. Fine. You know why? Because they don't, they don't happen very often. Right. If you believe you're playing well because you're getting laid, or because you're not getting laid, or because you wear women's underwear, then you are. And you should know that. Come on, Annie. Think of something clever to say, huh? Something full of magic, religion, bullshit. Come on, dazzle me. What? I said I want you. Stop it. You're scared. Maybe I am. But I still think you should leave. <laughs> okay, well... This is the damnedest season I've ever seen. I mean, the Durham Bulls can't lose and I can't get laid. So originally, after Annie and Crash had their argument in Crash's apartment, there was a scene in which Annie and Crash go to a bar and have a heart-to-heart -heart talk. In the talk, Crash asks Annie why she loves baseball so much. 
She then explains that several years before, her estranged father passed away and that the funeral took place in Florida. She was so distraught after the funeral that she wandered off and ended up at the New York Yankees spring training facility where she met legendary Yankees catcher Thurman Munson, thus explaining her shrine to Munson seen in the film. From then on, she developed a deep-rooted love for the game. However, according to Ron Sheldon, he cut the scene out when it was received poorly during the test screening. And after the scene was removed, a second test screening was done, and the movie received a high score. And for those not up on baseball history, Thurman Munson actually died in a plane crash in August of 1979 in the middle of the season. Alright, so we go back to the movie. For that night's game, Nuke's stuff isn't great, and he's struggling on the mound. All sorts of funny things happen in this game. First, we get one of the best scenes as we finally discover what sort of advice pitching coaches actually give during mound visits. What's wrong? I'm a little nervous. My old man's here. Your dad's here? Where's he at? He's right behind home plate. Don't look. Don't look. Look, he's waving. Hey, he's just your old man. He's as full of shit as anybody. Hey, what's going on? I'm breathing through the wrong fucking eyelid again, dude. Shut up. Hey, did you guys hear about Jimmy and Millie? Yeah. They got engaged. Can you believe that? Oh, yeah? Well, wait till I tell him she's gone down and half the Carolina leave. Hey, anybody says anything bad about Millie, I break his neck. Excuse me. You guys, I got a game to pitch here. Hey, you guys, don't throw me anything. My girlfriend put a curse on my glove. I'll take the hex off the fucking glove. Give me the glove. Well, then you got to cut the head off a live rooster. What the hell's going on out there? Looks like a convention. Pretty soon they're going to call the roll. <laughs> Get your ass out there and check it out. Excuse me, what the hell's going on out here? Well, Nick's scared because his eyelids are jammed and his old man's here. We need a live, was it a live rooster? We need a live rooster to take the curse off Jose's glove and nobody seems to know what to get Millie or Jimmy for their wedding present. Is that about right? That's right. We're yeah. dealing with a lot of shit. Okay, well, uh, candlesticks always make a nice gift and uh, maybe you can find out where she's registered, maybe a place setting or maybe a silverware pattern. Okay, let's get to it. Let's go. Yo, what's your so in this meeting at the pitcher's mound, Robert Wool actually ad-libbed his line about getting candlesticks as a wedding present. He said it was based on a real conversation he had with his wife. Also, we discover the magic word to say to an umpire when you're looking to get thrown out of a game. Oh, fuck you. It's a cocksucking call. 
You call me a cocksucker. No, I, you I call me I a said cocksucker. Was a cock you, you can't call me for that. Well, you, you missed the tag. You missed the tag, You just spit on me. I did not spit on you. You spit on me. Not spit on you. You're in the wrong business, Jack. You're shoes and rope. Yeah, right. You're pushing it, buddy. You push it. You want me to run you? I'll run you. Well, you want me to call you a cocksucker? You want me to try Call me a cocksucker. Pretty please, call me a cocksucker, and you're out of here. Cocksucker. You're a cocksucker! Shit! Oh. What the fuck is that? Why are you doing shit? I've never seen Crash so angry. And frankly, sports fans, he used a certain word that's a no-no with umpires. Crash must have called the guy cocksucker. Mmm, God, he's so romantic. So the good news for Annie's libido is that Nuke's winning streak has come to an end, but now she's more interested in Crash. Also, the night after his loss, Nuke gets word that he's going to be called up to the majors. By the way, most A-ball guys do not go straight to the majors, so that's a bit of a reach for the movie, but for movie purposes, I get it. Nuke visits Crash at the pool hall to tell him the good news, but he doesn't get the reaction he hoped for. Hey, hey, there you are. Crash. Hey, Crash. Guess what? Guess what, man? I'm going to the show. Big Club's expanding its roster to finish out the season. Nice shot. And I am going to the show. So why don't you go then? Well, let's celebrate. Congratulations. Hope you end up on the cover of Sports Illustrated, maybe a cereal box. <laughs> What's your problem, man? I'm trying to thank you. Come on, let's get out of this dump. I'll buy you a beer. Hey, you calling my place a dump? No, he's not. Huh? No, he's not. He's not, are you? No. He's not. Right. Nuke, you know who this is? This is Sandy Grimes. Sandy Grimes hit 371 in Louisville in 1966. 376. I'm sorry. He hit 376. That's a career, man. In any league. You got that right. Did you hear what I said? I mean, I'm, I'm going to the show. You know what the difference between hitting 250 and 300 is? It's 25 hits. 25 hits and 500 at-bats is 50 points, okay? There's six months in a season. That's about 25 weeks. That means if you get just one extra flare a week, just one, a gork, you get a, a ground ball, you get a, you get a ground ball with eyes, you get a dying quail, just one more dying quail a week, and you're in Yankee Stadium. You still, you, you still don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Get the hell out of here. All right. Send you a postcard. Send me a postcard. Hey, I made it. You made it. You made shit. Hey. Hey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey. You crazy? Hey, man, what's the hell wrong with you? I'll be all right. No, I'm not talking about. I'm talking about my mirror. Hey, cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm shit. I'm sorry. All right. Hey, well, I'm not gonna fight you, man. I'm not gonna fight you. What do you mean you're not gonna fight me? Fuck. 
fuck? Why am I a fuck? Why are you a fuck? Why am I a fuck? Because you got talent. I got brains, but you got talent. See this right arm? Worth a million bucks a year. All my limbs put together aren't worth seven cents a pound. What are you talking about? You're a great catcher. I'm a great catcher? (laughs) I'm a great catcher? Forget it. Forget it. Hey. Just fucking forget it. Hey, me. Oh. Oh. Damn. Mitch. I didn't mean to hit you, man. Oh. You hurt my eye. Ow. Sorry. Well, did you hit did you hit me with your right hand? Did you hit me with your left? Huh? Did you hit me with your right hand? Did you hit me with your left? My left. Good. Good. Well, you get in a fight with a drunk, you don't hit him with your pitching hand. God, I can't keep giving you these free lessons, so quit screwing around and help me up. You look great, man. So some viewers might wonder why Crash isn't thrilled for Nuke. Well, Nuke getting called up means that Crash's assignment is essentially over. And Crash realizes that his days are likely numbered with the Bulls, along with his career in general. Not many teams are looking for a catcher in the 30s who's been a career minor leaguer. And as expected, the team decides to cut ties with Crash once Nuke gets called up. The rest of the film is unlike other sports movies, as again, there is no one big game to tie up the story. That's not what Bull Durham is about. It's about the daily grind of being a ball player, especially a minor league ball player. So, does Crash end up with Annie? Well, that's up to you to find out if you haven't seen the movie. Again, this is arguably the best baseball movie ever made and possibly one of the best sports movies in general. And I will leave you with this gem from Nuke as he uses his interview wisdom that Crash taught him. Happy to be here, and I uh, hope I can help the ball club. You know, I just want to give it my best shot, and good Lord willing, things will work out. You know, you got to play him one day at a time, though. Ran, right? That's a beautiful name. Is that Greek? Is that Ran? I don't know. It's a beautiful name, though. There's a great song by Motley Crue. Do you know the Rayanne? She's a stand. No? Anyway, a good friend of mine used to say, this is a very simple game. You throw the ball, you catch the ball, you hit the ball. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes it rains. Think about that. All right, some fun facts about Bull Durham. Ron Sheldon was nominated for an Oscar for Best Screenplay. Kurt Russell actually helped Ron Sheldon develop the script and was originally penciled in to play Crash. After the film was made, Russell was so impressed, he actually wrote fan letters to Costner and Shelton. And if you didn't know, Kurt Russell also played minor league baseball. And if you want to watch a terrific documentary that's on Netflix, actually about Kurt Russell's time with the Port Mavericks, which were owned by his father, Bing Russell, check out The Battered Bastards of Baseball. You won't be disappointed. So in the scene where the Bulls have returned from the long trip, Annie is seen at the game wearing a black veil and appearing as if she had just come from a funeral. Well, this was because the previous scene, which was cut out, Annie is actually attending Max Patkin's funeral. That was deleted in post-production. So Ron Shelton had written in a scene where Max, the mascot, was killed in a car crash during the season. Both Jeff Bridges and Don Johnson turned down the role of Crash. Of course, Johnson and Costner would star together in the golf movie Tin Cup. David Duchovny was considered for the role of Nuke. Charlie Sheen was considered for the role of Nuke, but he was already committed to yet another baseball movie called Eight Men Out. Nick Nolte, who was one of the biggest stars at the time, turned down the lead because he had just finished several movies back-to-back, and most importantly, he isn't a fan of baseball. 
However, he famously was in the football movie North Dallas 40 in 1979, a movie that he co-wrote. Other actors who were considered to play Crash Davis, Alec Baldwin, Tom Berenger, who was, of course, in Major League, Harrison Ford, Richard Gere, Mel Gibson, Tommy Lee Jones, Michael Keaton, Christopher Lambert, Stephen Lang, Bill Paxton, Ron Perlman, Dennis Quaid, Arnold Schwarzenegger, couldn't imagine that one, <laughs> and Sylvester Stallone. Ooh. Both Carrie Fisher and Deborah Winger auditioned for the role of Annie, but they backed out. Melanie Griffith was considered for the role of Annie, but she was busy working on Working Girl. Kelly McGillis was interested in playing Annie, but she turned it down. Instead, she then starred in The Accused. Kim Basinger turned down the role. Glenn Close auditioned for the role, but eventually turned it down because she went to film Dangerous Liaisons. Kate Capshaw and Gina Davis were also considered for Annie Savoy. Funny enough, of course, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis weren't together in Thelma and Louise. Isabella Rossellini was offered the role of Annie, but she turned it down because she didn't want to be typecast as a femme fatale. Sybil Shepard and Bruce Willis were considered to play the parts of Annie and Crash, but they declined because they were still committed to doing the series Moonlighting. For years, Ron Shelton had contemplated making a sequel and remarked, I couldn't figure out in the few years right after it came out. What do you do? Nuke's in the big league. Crash is managing in Visalia. Is Annie going to go to Visalia? I've been to Visalia. That will test the relationship. It was not a simple fable to continue with. There really was a ball player named Crash Davis. Ron Shelton found his name in a baseball listing as a minor leaguer and American Legion player. He realized he would have to get permission of the real Davis to use his name and, of course, avoid a lawsuit. So when Ron Shelton actually approached him, he asked, Do I, meaning Kevin Costner, get the girl in the end? Shelton told him what happened, and Davis signed off on the permission. <laughs> so Crash Davis hits his 247th home run and sets a minor league record. In 2015, Mike Hessman of the Toledo Mudhens hit his 437th minor league homer, and that is the real minor league record. All right, we have two guests to talk about. The genius, that is Bull Durham. We get frequent guest Eric Sinzak, who's always terrific. And then Sonny Pooney from the Growing Up Rock podcast and also Podcast Rock City. They discuss their thoughts on Bull Durham. And I will be back next week for yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, batter up and on deck or in the hole or wherever he wants to be coming to the plate <laughs> is Eric Sinzak. Welcome back, Eric. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me back up to the plate <laughs> absolutely absolutely just like a nuclear loose fastball i never know where it's going so we'll we'll try this uh so uh, well, first i gotta ask are, are you a big baseball fan I, I grew up a baseball fan and i uh did play little league and uh t-ball <laughs> and uh but i did not play baseball in high school okay just softball that's about it <laughs> all right so what were the what was your team po- uh when you were growing up uh the braves the Atlanta braves, braves. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So Dale Murphy and and all those Bob guys, Warner. Bob yeah. Warner. Yep, that's yeah. right. Well, yeah, '80s Braves. I collected '80s Braves baseball cards, and, and uh, my brother Chris, who's uh, you know fellow podcaster of yours uh, from Festival yep. Geek Podcaster. Yeah, uh, he is a huge baseball fan and big uh, baseball card collector, and we both grew up going to Braves games with our dad, and uh, he we were both huge. Uh, 
baseball. He's he's a much bigger baseball. He has much bigger baseball knowledge than I do. I'll say that he, you know, you could ask him a question: Who played third base for the, you know, White Sox in 1963? And he could bang. He could tell you. <laughs> I I can't do that. He can tell you that. So I can't do uh, 1963. Sure. I can maybe do 83, but <laughs> which would have been yeah. Vance Law. So I knew that one. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. So, but um, yeah, I'm I'm not that. I don't have that depth of knowledge, you know, I'm, I'm more like sci-fi crap. So, but right. You still fun. appreciate uh, bull Durham, which is arguably one of the best baseball movies and sports movies ever created. Yeah, I think so. I think it was great because it gives you a great insight into, uh, you, you know, they show stuff that happens in, in sports movies on the field, but a lot of f- sports films don't, <laughs> they don't give you a whole lot of personality of, mm-hmm players off field or you know what's going on in their heads a lot of times and i thought bull durham was really good i i will say this it's a lot more chick flicky than a lot of sports films yes but if you're gonna if if you're making a romantic comedy in the 80s what mm-hmm. better way than to pepper it with some good sports and stuff like that it's gonna get people in the in the theater and you know Kevin Costner and Susan Sarandon, Tim Robbins, it's hard not to get people in, you know, it's hard to turn away from that anyway, because they're great actors. And and I think that's what made the film different. I think that's why it's probably universal, too, because a lot of it's told through the eyes of Annie, you know, Susan Sarandon. And uh, and it's also the day in and day out of the daily grind of a, of a baseball season that you know, most most sports movies don't go through because, uh, you know, they want the big payoff. They want that pennant race. And and I think that's why Bull Durham really holds its own, because it's not one of those movies. There is no big game at the end. It's one of the few movies that doesn't have that sports wise. And I I think that's why it, it really stands alone. If you had made this film about a major league team, it would not have worked. No, if you if you had done this about a major league ball player. Mm hmm would have just been completely uninteresting. You're absolutely right. They kind of did it ironically with, uh, did you ever see the slugger's wife? No, actually I didn't. I, I did not watch that. I, for some reason, I, every time I went to watch it, I did not see it. <laughs> well, what's funny is it takes place in the eighties and he plays for the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> so, uh, oh, oh shit, yeah. shit. What am I thinking? I'm thinking of a different movie. No, no, no. I do. I have seen that movie. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, Duh. I don't know what I'm thinking. Yes, I have seen that movie. Yeah, and yeah. I think they tried to kind of go that route, um, you know, kind of the, the more female uh, point of view, and it, it didn't yeah. work as well. It just didn't work. You're you're absolutely right. I'm sorry. I was thinking of something else. I, oh, no, no worries. I, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. They, no, you're right. They, they did try to go in sort of the same fashion where they told it from the female's perspective, having to deal with the men coming mm-hmm. at the, Yeah, I, I know what you mean. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Well, the great part, you know, I can't think. Well, one, Kevin Costner is a good athlete. You could tell he could actually uh, play play some ball, and he looks like he could um, swing a bat and things like that. On the other hand, Tim Robbins is kind of perfect in a way for the role because he he has a terrible throwing motion, and he really doesn't look like an athlete. But it works for some reason. How did you feel about about the cast? I thought I thought it was cast really well because. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, Tim Robbins is just a mess when you first look at him. Oh, I mean, yeah, you have to. I mean, there's that's the only way that relationship all works together is to have somebody like Costner f- try to fix somebody like Tim Robbins, you know, mm-hmm. and Tim Robbins plays it really well, like an, an asshole. 
He's an yeah. asshole. You know, yeah. he, they probably just gave him the script and said, here, you're the asshole. Yeah. You know, and he's like, oh, really? Okay. Uh, because he is. I mean, and Costner is very cool. And I love the, I love the cliches when yeah. he's telling, you know, you have to to learn your cliches when he's drunk on the bus you know this is before they get past all the you know punching him and everything else like that he finally tones down to that point but you know that that's one of the the series of things that he's teaching him he's like you have to learn all this stuff and finally getting to the mentor phase of all of it when he finally starts understanding i'm not here just to beat on you i'm here to be your mentor right you know that that to me is really when things get great in the film but um you know, it took all that time. It takes a lot of time for that to happen, but it's enjoyable. That, well, that, that is pro- that is such a brilliant scene because no other movie really got into that and the cliches that every single athlete gives away <laughs> when they do an interview. It, it is unbelievable how many times you hear one day at a time, you know, things. <laughs> yeah. and, and you anytime you hear an interview like that, you can immediately go back to Bull Durham and, and just, oh, man, they nailed it, you know, because they all say the same thing because they have to because they can't say anything controversial. No, it's uh, they're all plugging in the same responses. I'm here yep. to do my part for the team. I'm just, you know, hoping we, you know, do the best we can this season. And yep. Oh, I love what you would, uh, Nukes like. Well, that's boring. It's like, of course it's boring. <laughs> that's what that's all you're saying. <laughs> but you, if you remember, he did an interview at the very beginning of the and, and remember oh, he's, he's just. He says, oh, yeah, man, I feel tubular. I feel yeah. totally fucking tubular or something like that. Totally rad in an awful <laughs> way, yeah. And that's right when uh, Coster walks in, he's kind of rolling his eyes, and then he notices, I, I, is that where he notices that his shower shoes have fungus on them or something like that? Or, yeah. yeah, it's like right, out, right before yeah. that. And it's like next scene, he's like, you can be colorful when you're in the major or when you're in the show, and then, yeah. you, can just, <laughs> then you can grow fungus on your shower shoes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's scenes like that that make this movie so good. It's, it, you know, there are some good baseball scenes, of course. But, yeah, I mean, in, in the locker room, like with uh, Larry, who's kind of the assistant manager, the pitching coach, and, of course, the, the manager. I mean, them, like, you know, ripping them a new one in the shower and then just, you know, all that stuff is so great. Throwing the bats. Yeah. yeah. But it's like he wouldn't do that um, until until Costner tells him to. It's right. like Robert Wall was great as the minor league or as the as the assistant manager, <laughs> uh, you know, because I love the scene when they're out there on the mound. Oh, yeah. Or, or, you know, they have the meeting on the mound and they're like, what the hell is going on out there? And it's like, you know, they, there's supposed to be some kind of a meeting. And it's like, well, I don't know. Go out there and figure it out. And Robert Wall goes out there. So what the hell is going on out here? It's just, well. Millie and him are getting married and, you know, we're trying to figure out what's wrong with his glove. And, you know, we're dealing with some serious shit out here. Right. Says, well, can- candlesticks are a good gift. We're trying to get candlesticks for you. Know? So, yeah. Can we, can we go back to work now? You know? <laughs> well, everyone wonders, especially if you don't watch baseball, what the hell are they talking about on the mound? And sometimes they are just stalling for time to get like, you know, the bullpen guy ready. And so it, it's a brilliant yeah. scene. I mean, nobody covered it like that. It, it, it got to be several instances where guys are just doing their they're just bullshitting just to mess with the other team and they're just oh you know, yeah here yeah well, so how you been how's the wife yeah. <laughs> exactly well that's why you know ron shelton who wrote the movie he also directed he actually played minor league baseball so a lot of these stories are, are legit they actually happened 
Yeah, I'm sure that they have several instances where they talk to players and try mm-hmm. to get information from them about. So really what happened out here, he's like, oh, man, I got a story for you. Let me tell you. That's right. You know, <laughs> went and got some great inside dirt from some people that are willing to talk about it. So, yeah. Well, even the scene where they're, you know, it's a serious scene where uh, the manager has to cut one of the players, you know, and and eventually it's crashed, too. But, uh, you know, that's never really talked about uh, that often, especially in baseball, where they have to, you know, the guy's guy's done with the team, you know, and then the manager has to sit down and talk to him. Yeah, that's kind of a sacred thing. They don't really discuss that too much. So I imagine that that's that was probably sensitive that whenever they, you know, and I, I know every manager when they call people in and they do the same thing over and over again they've probably they they're probably like skip you know they probably say the same thing you know trey wilson said played it when he's you know when he called him in there he's like yeah this is the hardest job i ever had to do you know right. lights a cigarette he did it does it the same way every time he's probably yeah. got this routine down because you know, he hates doing it. So he figures I'll do my routine. I'll say the same thing every time just so I. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a, it's a routine and, and whatever reaction you get from the player, it's probably going to be different each time. And, and you just let them do what they got to do. Yeah, it's just make it not not part of your, you know, just not your decision. Just let, let it go and just just get through it and just get them out of there because it's not something you want to do, something you have to do. So that's right. That's right. So uh, did you see this when it originally came out or is this a rental? No, I did. I, you know, when this came out, uh, I think my parents went to the theater. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I did not go see it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, saw it. Uh, I think I saw it on VHS probably a few years after it was out and yeah. then and watched it again, probably on cable a while back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this was a same same deal. Uh, I, my dad, who was a huge baseball fan, saw it and he's like, yeah, I'd let you watch this. But there's a few scenes that are a little risque. So, yeah, just like you, it took uh, took a couple of years. But once I said once he saw it, he's like, yeah, you're ready. You can see it. And uh, yeah, oh. it's great. It's it's nothing overtly sexual. It's more, um, I would say, sexy than, you know, you know, straight up, you know, flashing and, and seeing. You know, oh, naked. yeah. It, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's very cat on a hot tin roof sensual. Yeah. Just about. I mean, it's just, it's really, uh, yeah, you're right. It's just a sensual film. It's yeah. just, yeah, and it, it's more racy. I wouldn't yeah. say it's anything dirty. Right. And I, th- I would say the language is probably more salty than anything you actually see. Yeah. And yeah. that's probably that's probably more accurate about it than anything else because uh, baseball players, they, they're like sailors. They cuss Absolutely. like sailors. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and what are actually, what are your top five uh, favorite sports movies? Oh, man. Uh, Field of Dreams, Major League. Um, let's see. I like, uh, well, I like, you know what? I, I I like Remember the Titans. It's actually a really good yeah, football. Yeah, it's a great one. Uh, yeah. It is funny how baseball movies kind of, or baseball in general kind of lends itself Base- to more. Yeah, yeah, baseball just sort of outstrips a lot of, you know, uh, but uh, Brian's song, that's another oh. great, you know, that, uh, Tear that, that that's a, yeah, I can't I watch that and I'm just like, oh, God, oh. Uh, <laughs> it's tough, it's but, tough. Yeah, but this is, uh, yeah, the Bull Durham's, it's, it's up there pretty good, um, but, uh, you know, I don't know, they're, 
it's kind of hard for me to rank them, but uh, oh yeah, hey, no, I was just trying to get see see some of your favorites. I, I'd say right, yeah. Bull Durham and the Natural are probably my two favorites. Yeah, the Natural, uh, oh Wonder Boy, awesome yeah. name. I love that. <laughs> yeah, and I think the story for the Natural was such so well written and crafted, and it's such a beautiful film to watch. Yeah, I think uh, Redford played that character great. So. Well, that and uh, I don't know if you ever read the original novel, but it's completely different. It's dark. He, he throws the game. There's no magical ending. Yeah, it's it's oh, it, no, yeah, I it was, didn't. Read. It was written like kind of I think it was like in the 40s or the 50s, like totally just a, a different type of uh, type of story. So, uh, yeah, definitely. There's one where the novel is de- not better than the uh, than the film adaptation. Yeah, I like watching baseball and yeah. uh, I last game I went to was an Angels game out here. Uh, oh, nice! Closest to us over here, and uh, it'd be nice to be able to get to a game. Absolutely, and uh, hey, well, you got one of the best baseball players out there, Mike Trout. So he's always a pleasure uh, to see. Yeah, he's uh, he's something else. He's uh, the fans out here really really love that guy. Well, that and they just signed uh, Anthony Rendon too, so they they got a good team. Plus, they still got Albert Pujols, so that's not bad either. Yeah, if they can get them all working at the same time, it'd be great. <laughs> and some pitching. Pitching is always yeah. great. <laughs> it seems like once one thing starts, uh, it's like a car. You know, one thing will break, and then, I don't know. They, they have trouble keeping it all going. So, they do. They need yeah. a nuclelouche to come up and save them. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if don't there's hit, enough room for all that. Hit, don't hit the bull. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of my favorite scenes. Hit the bull. Oh, that's perfect. That's or when he's, you know, he's shaking him off. You know, don't shake me off. He, he tells the tells the guy what he's going to throw. I mean, it's it's brilliant. <laughs> he's gonna. Yeah. All right, you want it? He's bringing the heat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I love this. He goes out there. He's like, "You told him, didn't you?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Every time you shake me off, I'm going to tell him what I'm throwing. What you're throwing? Yeah. That's right. I held it like an egg, didn't? Yeah, and he scrambled the shit out of it. So yeah, <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah, that was that's. There's some great lines in that movie, and oh. just the way Costner commands the field. Yeah, when he's out there, he really played it like a real catcher. Oh so yeah, I have to give him complete props on that because he he researched that role perfectly. And when he's out there, it, he really looks like a real catcher. I mean, he he runs the runs that field. Oh really, yeah, and he ran you know ran them all. Just you know, and it was great. And also another scene that I really liked was when he's in the bar, and mm. Tim Robbins and there's that uh, older fellow that owned the mm. bar. That's right. And, uh, Tim Robbins comes there and he says, "Hey, let's get out of this stuff." Uh, let's get out of this dump and the guy stands up and he says well, are you calling my place a dump yeah and i pissed off at him and costner's you know half in the bag and about to lose it with him so yeah i mean that that scene is really great because he's telling him about um the other guy's career mm-hmm. you know and he says he had these statistics and he's telling him all about it. he says says that's a career in any mm-hmm. league you yeah know? He, had, he had over 300 and uh and that's the thing about baseball that you you fail seven out of ten times and you'll make multi-millions uh but if you fail eight out of ten times you're not even gonna have a job so it's it's that doesn't make sense it's like ridiculous yeah yeah yep 
And it's, it's number. It's a, yeah, it's absolutely it's a game of failure, and it's it's really I, I think what one of of all the sports you don't get too high and too low. I don't I think that's why you don't see as much celebration in baseball over certain um, you know one off plays because that next at bat you could actually not get a hit for your next twenty at bat. So to to grants enough you just got a hit or, or hit a home run. I mean you're gonna you're probably gonna fail more often than not. Unlike you know playing you know playing basketball or playing playing football. So we'll we'll wrap it up with that. Again, thank you so much, Eric. Yeah, thank you, Brian. I appreciate having me on. We are back with Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock Podcast and the Kiss Podcast, Podcast Rock City. Welcome back, Sonny. Uh, how you doing there, man? I'm great. I'm great. I want baseball season to start going. So in lieu of that, uh, let's talk about arguably one of the best, not just baseball movies, but sports movies ever made. And it's Bull Durham. Now, before we I know you're a big sports fan. I know you're a baseball fan. Are you a have you ever been to a minor league uh, ball game before? Uh, yeah, I've taken the kids to Stockton Ports. It's fun. Oh, yeah. 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 I live live right here. Yeah. Now it's a totally, I think they're class a, uh, so they're, they're the lower minors. Um, but it, it's a different feel. It's more of a family atmosphere. I, in many ways, I like it uh, not more than, than the majors, but it's a lot of fun to go to those games. Yeah. The kids seem to be more into it and people aren't so serious, right? Like I'll, I'll go to a giants game and let's say the wife and I are talking about something and you know, somebody goes, Hey, can you be quiet? I'm like, what is this a movie? Like, what do you mean be <laughs> quiet? Could you hear the background noise? Like just right. watch the game. You need to hear it too. There's no announcers, you know, and, and, that kind of thing. And baseball was created as like kind of a leisure picnic type game where a lot of it, that's why a lot of people that aren't big sports fans enjoy baseball. Cause you can do other things while, while watching the game. Yeah. And I, I like, you know, baseball games, they're slow. Right. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it, it's almost like football games are too fast and baseball games are too slow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So usually we leave by probably like the eighth inning or so. Mm-hmm. But uh, like at the ports, it's cheap to get a hot dog. You can feed everybody. I took my team there a couple of times because you can take 30, 40 people for oh, a reasonable yeah. price. If I got to go buy a box at the A's game, it's it's a, you know, a mint to get there. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the Giants are even more. So, um, right. yeah. And what's nice is like they they do these little like uh, promotions in the middle of uh, in between innings that are super fun that they just don't do in the major leagues as well. So yeah, it's a definitely more of a family atmosphere. And I think that Bull Durham kind of uh, hit touched upon a little bit of that because you had like you know the the uh, the clown prince, uh, the Max, the, the the older guy that plays kind of the uh, the crazy George uh, character. Yeah, I can totally understand the community and the love they have for the the team that's playing in their community because they don't have any pro sports there, basically, right? So, right. and and it's more a college community anyway because we're talking about North Carolina, where here we got colleges and stuff, but everybody's always talking pro sports. Like you don't ever hear about oh, I'm going to the Stanford game today. Like you just don't hear much of that here. I don't know why that is. It's true, and and in. Especially in the Bay Area, there's so many different things to do that, like, you know, sports in general are, are fun and they're popular, but it's not like in the Midwest or down south. Yeah, no doubt. And, like, I lived in uh, Portland for a while, mm-hmm. and uh, except for the Trailblazers, they got nothing, right? Yeah, so it's all exactly. about the Civil War. I didn't even know what the Civil War was. Somebody <laughs> goes, are you going to go watch the Civil War? I'm like, wasn't that, like, in the 1800s? What are you talking about? <laughs> right? And someone goes, no, Oregon against Oregon State. I'm like, what? <laughs> so... <laughs> So for this movie, it's one of the few films that um, it's not your typical sports movie in the sense of it's just a normal season. 
Uh, there's no big game. There's no like, you know, build up to this, you know, um, championship type season. It's just the day in the life of a ball player. How, how did you feel when you first saw it? It's definitely a feel good movie. Uh, it's got the chick flit hint to it, but sure. it's still a sport enough movie to be interested. And uh, Kevin Costner, uh, it was a good uh, person to play the role. I know they were looking some other people to play the role, but I thought Kevin Costner did a good job with it. Uh, I enjoyed the movie the first time I saw it, and I enjoy it every time I see it. Yeah, and that's a great part about Costner is he truly is an athlete. I mean, he's been in he was in Tin Cup, so he can golf. Uh, he was in for love of the game where he's actually playing a pitcher and he was actually throwing the ball a lot, you know, in in those scenes. And he actually looks like I wouldn't call him a major league catcher, but he looks like he could handle himself and he can definitely swing a bat. Which helps sells the piece, right? Because that nothing drives me more crazy than a, a show or a movie about a band and you got some bonehead up there that doesn't even know how to hold a guitar or right. hold a mic or has no stage presence. Or there's a baseball movie and you can tell like Tim Robbins pitching a little <laughs> odd, right? It wasn't great. <laughs> Right? right. So it's like, did you just learn that? Like sometimes you're doing the Fernando Venzuela thing. Sometimes you're not doing it. Like you don't have a routine. Uh, that pitch that you're actually throwing is going about 22 miles an hour. Like, but he can, Costner can sell it because he was a baseball player. Right. So I think it's important to either learn it or get somebody that's done it before. So it looks more real. Yeah. I think the knock on the film would have been the, the, um, the new Coolouche character, of course, by, played by Tim Robbins. He's great in that role, but you're totally right. It kind of works because he's so quirky that the throwing style, I think they let, you know, you kind of uh, suspend disbelief because it, it's so out there. Uh, but yeah, he's not a, a ball player at all because everyone else around him was actually a minor league ball player. And, uh, and so they kind of make up for it. But I think his quirkiness uh, kind of fits in, in that role, but you're totally nailed about the chick flick. I mean, this is told basically through the eyes of Susan Sarandon, uh, Annie, yeah, the, and I thought it, they did a good job with Susan starting the narrating at the beginning of the movie and kind of telling the story. Mm -hmm. There is something about a movie that does part, you know, obviously the major part of it is going to be acting and their scenes and et cetera. But the narration puts you in the head of the person, which for whatever reason connects you more to the movie. So Susan did it with narrating. Costner did it while he was batting. Robbins did it while he was pitching. And for whatever reason, that makes the movie more watchable for me. And I understand it better. Absolutely. And I love that they got into the head of Kevin Costner when he was at bat, because you always wonder, like, what are these guys really thinking? Are, are they going up with actually they're not thinking about anything or is he thinking about what the next pitch is going to be? Uh, that was great. I love when they go to the mound because I've always, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, what the hell are they talking about when the coach goes to the mound or the players go to the mound during, you know, are they stalling? And so that was that was kind of some levity brought by the the pitching coach. Robert Wool's great in that that role. Yeah. And I think with the sports movies, you know, for anybody who's played high school sports, uh, peewee sports, especially college and pro, obviously, it immediately connects to you because, you know, I played baseball in high school, so it connected to me. Like, I had a routine of what I did when I before I started batting or what I did before the game started. And everybody kind of does. So uh, it kind of makes you, um, I guess, uh, recall your childhood a little bit. And uh, you're growing up years, and uh, that's what connects you to the movie. So I love these baseball and sports types movies. Well, that brings up a good point. So what would be, I'm putting you on the spot here. What would be your top five favorite baseball movies? Um, I would say eight men out is definitely up there. Um, uh -huh. doing this in no rank. Uh, sure. Uh, 
I like all three major league movies, by the way. <laughs> even oh, the no minors way. one. Even yeah. the Vacua one. <laughs> yeah. Even the minors one. I like that one. Uh I forgot the movie with the the kid who picked up the Minnesota twins. That was a oh, good movie. Oh, uh, Little Big League. Yeah, yeah. Really like that movie. Mm-hmm. The Natural was a good oh, movie. That that's one of my favorites. Um, yeah. And of course this one. Yeah. I would yeah. say right off the top of my head, those are the Oh, at Mr. Baseball. Love that movie. Oh, that's fun. That that doesn't yeah. get enough credit because they they put a little twist on it because he's going over to Japan and and a yeah. lot of uh, ball players who who it seems like sluggers go over there a lot because they can they can kind of dominate over there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lot of a lot of baseball movies I like for sure. Yeah, and I think of all the sports, baseball kind of lends itself because obviously it has the most history of any sport, Amer- American sport. And uh, there's a certain poetic charm to baseball that I think lends itself to uh, creative storytelling. And I think for the Wayfair fan and people who are coming into sports, baseball is simple. Yeah. I think football and soccer, uh, hockey's ridiculous. I don't even understand how. Oh, I don't either. Yeah. Right? So, but. <laughs> If, if you want to get into sports and you start at basketball or baseball, it's fairly simple. And mm-hmm. I think it gets more people into it. Well, what's funny is y- you would think baseball is simple, and then you start to explain the rules. And <laughs> then you say, well, what's a strike? Well, yeah, you have to have it between the guy's ankle or the guy, his knees and his chest, and it's got to be in this box. Okay, so then they hit the ball. Well, okay, so you have to put it between these lines and if it's fair here. So, yeah, on the surface, it seems easy because you, you think, oh, you're just hitting a ball, but there's a lot of complexities to it, I think, more than any other sport at times. I, I tried explaining to my wife once what the third base coach was doing right? <laughs> because there was a guy on base. She's like, what's he doing? I'm like, he's giving the, uh, the guy on first base signs and the guys mm-hmm. on second base signs. Well, well, what do the signs mean? I go, well, baby, you're not supposed to know because that's part of <laughs> that was given away. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, I remember explaining to someone who had never seen baseball before, and they're like, "Why aren't they standing on the base? Why is the second baseman not actually on the base?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's not going to work well <laughs> because if he hits it that way, then yeah, it's not going to work." So yeah, there are little um, intricacies that, about the game and, but that's a great thing about baseball too is every you go to any basketball arena they all look the same any football stadium it all looks the same but baseball parks are all different with the with the exception of the infield uh but you know every every outfield's a little bit different the, obviously the structure of the of the stadium is different so that's why it also baseball has a charm that that no other sport has yeah absolutely no doubt no doubt some of the other characters in there. What what other uh, characters and scenes stand out for you in, in Bull Durham? Uh, well, let's start with characters. Uh, I, like you said, Robert Wool, I thought, did a great job. Uh, Trey Wilson, I thought he could have done more because he was playing a pretty good skip. Uh, oh, yeah. So I thought, I thought that was pretty good. Scene-wise, you know, I love it that Susan is a true face baseball fan, not just a groupie. Right. Um, so that, that part was cool. Uh, <laughs> every time... Tin Robbins hit the bull. I the mascot. <laughs> I would just start busting out laughing. And I've seen it so many times. And for whatever reason, every time it happens, uh, I guess it's the slapstick nature of the comedy that sure. that gets to me. Um, I'm not sure I would go get into a fight over a dance like that. I don't know if I would do that. Um, I'm sure there was some quantum physics involved in me meeting my wife because there's no other way I get her. Um, <laughs> I love the speech that Costner does and what he believes. I mean, yes. all the things he named, which is great. Yep. Um, the yeah, the narrating yourself at bat is just that that part's just huge. Um, 
I never understood, although I've played baseball and watched a lot of baseball, it's you shouldn't even allow the pitcher to shake the catcher off. Like just <laughs> right. Well, what do you know? Just throw the pitch. I'm telling you to throw. If you can't throw it, then wave at me and tell you tell me you need to get out of the game. You know what I mean? Otherwise, there's a lot of stuff going into it. Yeah, and I think sometimes maybe they do it because if there's a runner in second, they may be trying to steal signs. And, of course, uh, all the sign-stealing scandal that's been going on, people are really uh, careful about what they say. But, yeah, you're right, especially a young pitcher. Uh, that's a big faux pas if you come up. You don't shake off your catcher who might be a veteran. And I love what Costner does because he's like, okay, this guy's going to shake me off. I'm going to tell the guy exactly what's coming. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And he does it twice. I mean, one during a shutout, which is you don't want to mess with the shutout and, and – uh, he shook him off during a shutout, and then he, he scrambled that egg. Yeah. Uh, talking about eggs, why is live poultry always involved in these rituals? Like, I don't understand why a chicken or a rooster, <laughs> or, depending on the movie, like, why is it live? <laughs> oh, that's true, because then we can go into uh, Major League, and, of course, Serrano and his, his voodoo and, and Joe Boo <laughs> and things like that. Now, do you think Major League ripped off this movie? Because there's a lot of similarities. That's a good point. I... Uh... Uh, they came out right around the same time. So I, I'm going to say no, but yeah, I think, you know, the guy who wrote this, Ron Shelton, who also directed it, uh, he played minor league ball. So I think a lot of these stories have been passed down. Uh, that's probably happened for many, you know, the superstition. So, I mean, baseball is probably one, one of the most superstitious sports. Yeah. And I, I love the lessons, right? Don't think it can only hurt the ball club. Never right. fuck with a winning streak. Like there's some really, really, yep. uh, good lessons. Um, oh, I, I was telling you about baseball players being superstitious. So I remember I used to, before I walk up to the plate, I'm swinging the bat. I'm a righty and I would swing the bat twice lefty. I don't know why before huh. I walk to the plate. And then, uh, before every game I ate exactly a hundred sunflower seeds. <laughs> You're just like Wade Boggs. You remember Wade Boggs? He used to play for the Red Sox. He used yeah. to eat every meal. It was always chicken. Like that's all he would eat for his entire Oh, career. I didn't yep. know that. That's that. what he would do. And the other great thing, one of my favorite scenes, because it's so true, is when Crash on the bus is teaching Nuke cliches. Because yeah. to give interviews, you better be as milk toast and vanilla as possible. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now, I'm sure you picked up on this. So we know about the Pink Floyd shirts because they go, went and grabbed people from a Pink Floyd concert to be oh, in, yeah. the, in the crowd. But I don't know if you caught Tim Robbins is wearing an Iron Maiden Live After Death shirt. Later on, he's wearing a Motley Crue Girls, Girls, Girls shirt. I did. He talks, he talks about this Motley Crue song that I'm telling you does not exist. <laughs> and But they had no hair metal on the soundtrack. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, he was supposed to be that guy. And yeah, they don't go there at all. Yeah, that's just odd. And it's also funny, he's supposedly into like Motley Crue and, and those, you know, metal bands. And there he's on the bus singing an Otis Redding song, you know, when he's trying, when he's singing the lyrics wrong, you know, <laughs> women, they get woolly <laughs> and, and all that stuff. But yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you that uh, that Joe Cocker song, When a Woman Loves a Man, that thing should have been a number one hit. I don't know why it wasn't. Yeah, that's a good point. He, Joe Cocker was in a lot of those late 80s um, soundtracks. He, he uh, When the Night Come was on that um Tom Selleck movie, uh, Innocent Man. So yeah, Joe Cocker kind of had a resurgence in the eighties. Yeah, my only criticism about this entire movie, and I think she, I think Susan Sarandon does a great job. Don't mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, and she's sexy, but she's oh, yeah. not hot. She's not hot, but she has she has a certain, I don't know, it's, it's sensual 
she's just that, you know, <laughs> there was something that is attractive about her. Uh, but you're right. She's not like your Daryl Hannah or, you know, somebody like that. But yeah, there's something about her that is. Um, and obviously Tim Robbins thought so because they, they, they were together after this movie. Yeah. And what's also interesting is right. So Kevin Costner sold as kind of like the veteran guy. Yeah. They're only four year apart in age. That's in a good point. <laughs> but Tim <laughs> Robin looks like a baby face. So I think that's what sells it. And you know, what's funny is you could actually in, in sports terms, four years is a huge difference. So a veteran of, of sports year uh, of four years could actually be like 10 years in, in, in uh, sports language, because uh, you look at like Buster Posey came out and within a couple of years, he was like the leader of the team. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Four years is a lifetime. Yeah, it, for true. sports, yeah, it seems like it. Well, as always, this is awesome, and uh, you would definitely recommend this as, as a great movie to see. Even even if you're not a big uh, sports fan, I think you would recommend it. Yeah, absolutely, and the movie holds up today, so you got to give it a shot. Absolutely. Well, don't hit the bowl and stay safe. Later. This is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer new and old deep tracks of kick-ass guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to, That's the Growing Up Rock Podcast, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories Podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie (laughs) I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff, and yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. 
If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world, and it's my number one podcast, signed by Science. Now, and then Science also said... Science! Science also said, my second favorite podcast is, it doesn't matter, the rest suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science! Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault, featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault. On Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>